the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, they call it a city of sun, fun, some education, too, as there is a major California university located there. For Bay Areans, it's simply a getaway spot down south on the coast to Santa Cruz. And joining me now is the senior pastor of Regeneration Church located just slightly north of Santa Cruz in Scotts Valley. We're pleased to have with us Pastor Matt Valencia. Pastor Valencia, good to have you with us today. It is so good to be here with you, Craig. It's an amazing uh, journey that you have been on and a trajectory and some stops along the way to places that many of our listeners will undoubtedly recognize. You uh, effectively grew up in church at Calvary Chapel, West Covina, under our dear friend and broadcast partner, Raul Reese. And then um, later on, you made your way up to the San Francisco Bay Area and spent some time at Calvary here in San Jose, where uh, Don McClure was senior pastor. Of course, now his son is pastoring the church. So we want to kind of fill in the blanks on this journey for you and, and how you, you wound up exchanging your dress shoes for Birkenstocks <laughs> and right. working in ministry down in, in Santa Cruz, where the rumor is there's a lot of weird people. Right. Right. <laughs> we're we're well, here to today thing. to dispel a few rumors and confirm a few others. So with that, I want to have you kind of walk us back. As I mentioned, your foundational days in ministry was with Pastor Raul Reese down at um, Calvary Chapel, West Covina. How did all that come about? Yeah, when I, when I was a kid, um, the tail end of the Jesus movement, my brother and my sisters became Christians, uh, and it was a radical change uh, for them. Um, my dad had moved out. Um, he actually kicked my brother out of the house when my brother was going to Calvary Chapel, West Covina, when it was just a Kung Fu studio, and uh, probably not an older person than 30 years old in the whole congregation. And they used to drag me along as uh, their little brother, but... I'll tell you, when I entered in that place, I, I felt this sense of love that I had never experienced. So as a little kid, Raul was teaching one Wednesday evening, and uh, he had an altar call. I actually walked up there with no one prompting me, probably at age six or age seven, with my best friend, and um, started following Christ at that time. And uh, later on in high school, um, really wanted to develop my my walk more. I'd kind of fallen away because my brother and sisters moved out, and just really praying, God, if you're real, then show yourself to me. I was uh, a sophomore in high school that summer of my sophomore and junior year. And um, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go back to that church that I used to go to when I was a little kid. I went uh, to the youth group, met uh, Terry Webb. He was my youth pastor and got to know Raul. My sister was Raul's secretary um, and just started following Jesus at that point in time and didn't know if I would go into full-time ministry even in high school. Um, I went to Azusa Pacific where I met my wife and uh, we got married right after college. And, and so I, I actually taught in the public high school, uh, South Hills High School down in West Covina for seven years. And I thought, OK, this is what I'm doing. I'm going to coach football and track and field and teach English. And the Lord just kept calling me. I, I actually got the chance to teach the Bible as literature, Craig, in a, a public high school. And just amazing. The students would ask questions. They were really curious. And I would teach it 
obviously different than a Sunday morning. And I felt like that's such a great ministry. But then God really started calling me. So I went to pastoral school and uh, just started growing in different ministries at Calvary Chapel, Golden Springs. Now that we moved to Diamond Bar. In fact, my when my wife and I got married, we were the last wedding at Calvary Chapel, West Covina before we moved to Diamond Bar. So on a Wednesday evening, again, there was this one night where we're all said, hey, would you, if, if you want to stay and pray, I just feel led to pray. And we're, we're just going to spend some time in prayer. If you need to leave, go ahead and leave. So I told my wife, Deanna, why don't you go home? You know, I feel like God's telling me to stay. He has something for me. That night, Raul had shared something. And he said, he just got back from a surfing trip here in Santa Cruz and started to share about the Bay Area. And he just started to weep. And he just said, there's so many young people that are lost, so many young people that are just on the streets and drugs. And as we started to pray, God just started to move my heart to move. So at that point in time, we started making plans to uh, go spy out the land. And uh, he said, why don't you go talk to Don McClure? And so I drove up. I had never, uh, I had met Don a couple of times, but I, this, is, this is before smartphones, so I didn't even know where San Jose was. I, I just drove. I had a, a physical map, drove up to San Jose, started driving around the city. And I see this cross on Almaden Expressway in Hillsdale. And I go that I see the sign Calvary Chapel. And I go on a Saturday morning and Don was there. He was the only car in the parking lot. I, I had no appointment. I was just going to pray. And he was walking out and he said, Hey, uh, I said, Don, I said, do you have a couple of minutes? He goes, yeah, come on in. And, started to pray. And at that point in time, we said, why don't you pray about coming up here? And that's how I ended up in San Jose. So that was very, uh, an organic move in that sense, really just following the, the still small voice of the Holy Spirit uh, to make your way to the San Francisco Bay Area. How long did you spend there as part of Calvary Chapel, San Jose? Uh, I was there for three years. Um, during that time, Towards the end of my time there, uh, Don asked if I would start a Christian school. So I started a K through eighth grade school. I had both pastoral experience, um, understood the ministry of Calvary Chapel, but also educational experience. And they had been praying for that for about seven years before I got there. Started the school, but then I just felt like God called me up here to plant a church. Again, it was Santa Cruz where my heart was. Uh, and my friend Dave Johnston, who is uh, the youth pastor in San Jose, he he had gone over to Santa Cruz to start Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. So I said, Lord, what do you have for me? And so he directed me to Gilroy. And uh, my wife and I moved to Gilroy eventually, but we had planted a church there and was there for 12 years. Um, and towards the end of that time, uh, Dave, because of health reasons and, and other uh, reasons, had moved back to Southern California. And Bill Holdridge was pastoring the church here in uh, Cal called Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz at the time. And... Um, Bill said, you know, I thought I was going to be here long term, but as I'm praying about it, I, I, I know that God has a different ministry for me. He called me up and said, hey, Matt, would you consider praying uh, about coming over and pastoring the church here? And um, our, our youth pastor was really growing in his ministry. We were praying about him going out to plant maybe in, even in Morgan Hill or somewhere in the vicinity. But it was really clear that I was training him up to take over for me and I was going to move over. To Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz. So that's and you know what's fascinating about this is your your trajectory has gone through um, very different types of people groups in terms of the the ministry focus. 
from that of Southern California to making your way to the Bay Area and the heart of Silicon Valley. And then, of course, in Gilroy, where you've got a very large migrant farm worker population, um, very transient in that sense, and a major Latino community that's largely involved in everything from, uh, you know, agriculture to farm work, things of that sort. And and so for you then, imagine that you'd, you'd had to be kind of agile on your feet in that the needs of the people, the hurts that people are feeling are, are very different amongst all those. Yeah, Um for whatever reason, I feel like God has given me a kind of a missions gift, even though I'm still here stateside. Um, you know, when Paul wrote, you know, I've become all things to all people that I might save some of, of just learning how to relate to people in different situations, you know, from public school, e- even in the educational aspect to private Christian school. Um, and then my tent making job, I was bivocational when we started the church in Gilroy. I was the principal of uh, Advent school, which is a drug and alcohol rehab school for students that were incarcerated. And I, I think that God just loves people, Craig. I, I think um, there's some people that are called to a certain niche or a certain people group, but um, I, I just am drawn towards people. And wherever God plants me, those happen to be the people that God draws my heart towards. And um, it's, it's been awesome to see that. With us today, Pastor Matt Valencia, Senior Pastor of Regeneration Church of Scotts Valley. A brief time out, we'll return more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're talking today with Pastor Matt Valencia, Senior Pastor of Regeneration Church of Scotts Valley. Pastor, I want to return to what we were discussing. Let me ask you this. Do you get the sense, uh, particularly in your ministry experience, that God has kind of reordered some of the definitions here? And, and by that, I mean, historically, if you use the word missions, we think, well, I know what that is because we do a missions week at church every year. And that's right. when a bunch of people uh, dressed in clothing that we don't recognize comes from a country with a language we don't know in a place where we can't recognize on the map. And they talk about what they're doing and ministering to indigenous people, whatever they are. And then we raise okay. some money and we send them back. And typically then the notion is, well, you have to have a passport. You have to do fundraising. You have to learn another language, another culture. You go and park yourself in some country you've never been to for a few years get the lay of land, and then start planting the church. But what you're describing seems as if you, you found the mission field and it never required you to even get a passport. You know, some of the most fruitful mission to this day, fruitful ministry as far as relationships being built and people coming to faith in Christ have been in my secular jobs while I've been pastoring a church bivocationally, whether it would be teaching or coaching um, I, I worked at uh, SBC, Pac Bell at the time, and um, the, the scripture that always gripped me was when Jesus saw the multitudes, he saw them um, weary and scattered like sheep without a shepherd. And I, I began to ask for God's heart for people. I would be sitting in traffic when I was in L.A. on my way to my job. God, give me your heart for people. And I just started looking at faces. Sitting, maybe some of your listeners are sitting in traffic right now listening And I I would look at faces and I would drive by and I would just wonder what they're going through and and just, God, give me a heart for people. And so I think that that happens. And I think that missions, it's so important that we realize if I were to move to another country, let's say a closed country where you couldn't get a a passport or a visa if you're a a quote unquote missionary, 
you would go and get a job, you would build relationships, you would get to know people, maybe invite people over for dinner and, and build friendships that open up the door to share the gospel. And I think that is so important for us as pastors in the Bay Area and Silicon Valley to be able to share in that way, because we have we have a church full of missionaries. They just don't always realize that. Yeah, let me interrupt now. You're you're describing missions work or day to day Christian discipleship. <laughs> yes, because what you described yes. in my mind sounds a lot like just what discipleship looks like. You go to work, you got a job, Absolutely. you meet people, you share a little bit, you invite a couple over for dinner, and as the God as God opens up opportunities, you share from your faith, and hopefully you can impact your life, their life for Christ. That that just sounds like life to me. Yeah, it's a both and, right? It's yeah. not an either or. We we had, um, I don't know if you know, our church got flooded uh, during those two atmospheric rivers that happened uh, in February and March. So we just moved into our new sanctuary a few weeks ago. But previous to that, we had this map that was on the wall. And they had these little stickers where you could get a sticker and put it on the Santa Cruz County map wherever you live. And uh, it said on the top of it, local missions. And then we have another one that's foreign missions. But in that local missions, we want people to see wherever you live, your neighborhood, your home, your family, whatever school that you're at or where you're, you're working, that's, that's a field where God could reach people. It strikes me too, and and we were talking about this before we came on the air today about the 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 differences between the mentality of Southern California versus Northern California, and some might look at Southern California with its beaches and Hollywood and the sunshine and many mega churches and think, well, there's a fairly easy place to do ministry. I mean, you can find churches that have eight, nine, ten, twelve thousand members without any difficulty. You come up to the Bay Area some days we have sunshine some days it's windy and foggy as all get out um you are hard pressed to find maybe one or two churches that even approach ten thousand members and if you find them there's probably one or two and that's it in the entirety of northern california some okay. might argue as they look at the trajectory of your ministry in working with uh, kids that have been incarcerated for uh, drug and alcohol abuse working with migrant farm workers in gilroy uh, moving to the beach slash college community and ministering in the greater santa cruz area that you've kind of gone from where the ministry was easy to instead where the ministry is needy. Do you think that's true? Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. In fact, when I think about missions, the last few years, uh, we have had so many friends move out of California. We had friends move to places where uh, less expensive. I mean, it is exorbitant in the Bay Area. Uh, places maybe that are more friendly towards churches where they might be more conservative in values. We're praying, we, we've been praying, God, bring those people, bring missionaries here, bring people from other places in the country, other places outside of the country here. You know, the, the name Santa Cruz literally means Holy Cross. And, and while Santa Cruz is known for keeping Santa Cruz weird, we're, we're praying as not just our church, but the church, capital C, in Santa Cruz County. That that's what we'd be known for, that the gospel of the good news of who Jesus is would would emanate from here. I, I just find it so interesting. No matter where I go in the world, I'll see people wearing Santa Cruz shirts. And, uh, you know, it's that brand and it's just there's a vibe to it. And and Santa Cruz, again, being known for so many things that 
we're praying that there's a vibrant church and people begin to hear about how Jesus is reaching this community, as he has at times past, but that he would do those things in the, the days in which we live as well. And isn't it interesting when you make that comparison to Christ's ministry on earth? I mean, look at the 12. I, I think if we did a, uh, a pretty significant background check or looked at the uh, the uh, the CVs of any of the 12, number one, for the positions that they ultimately were given, uh, I would imagine the average pulpit committee would go through the list and say, reject, reject, reject. Uh, none of them really seem to be uh, likely in terms of targets for this kind of changing the world ministry. Um, and yet they were the very people that Jesus targeted. Again, we in the flesh might say, Matthew, I mean, the, the, that crooked tax collector guy, right. you got to be kidding me. I mean, very few on the list are really the kind of types that you would think would be ideally suited for this. But maybe that goes to the heart of the gospel message that, that God has always reached out to those that seem to be the most least likely, the most downtrodden, the most challenged and said, you know what? I'm going to use you to confound the world. We're going to do some miracles together as you were obedient to my word and my calling. And uh, and he's been confusing people by, by picking the least likely ever since it was really interesting i was at a calvary chapel pastors conference one time and i was sitting right behind my two pastors i was sitting behind raul reese and, and don mcclure they're the same age they both have three boys i've worked uh with you know in the ministry with, with both of them and i, I see raul he's sitting there he had uh, shorts and a t-shirt a baseball cap i look at don he has this argyle vest and a button-down collar and penny loafers and i'm going it's so amazing the diversity within the body of Christ and coming from Calvary Chapel. I mean, that's a, that's a common story of people that have come out of drugs or uh, in trouble with the law or hippies and God's used them, but he's also used people that, that come from maybe kind of a, a more white collar background and maybe business was their trajectory and, and making a lot of money and, and God's used them as well. So it, it's really important, you know, again, in the Bay area, we have, uh, Pat Gelsinger, he's the CEO of Intel. He leads a group called uh, Transform the Bay with Christ, and I'm a part of that group as well. We were just on a Zoom uh, prayer meeting where he was talking about fasting and prayer and how he was fasting for people in it, in his job, fasting for people that are, uh, you know, that he works with. And so you realize that God could put people right in the heart of Silicon Valley in tech companies and schools and universities. We have a a professor here, Martin Gaskell at UC Santa Cruz. And he said, Matt, if you ever run across a college student and the reason why they don't believe in Christ is because of an intellectual hindrance. Here's my number. I have office hours. Have them come talk to me. He's, he's a professor of uh, astrophysics. And, uh, you know, just amazing how he's come to see Christ as the answer. So all walks of life, um, just really important for reaching all kinds of people. Absolutely. And again, that notion of the mission field being all about us, all we need to do is be obedient to that call to be disciples and to make disciples and recognize as we want to talk about reaching out to a lost and dying world, can we pray for people in third world countries and on the other side of the planet? Absolutely. And okay. I think it's vital that we do and we should be involved in ministry overseas. I mean, after all, the gospel encourages us to go out there and spread the good news afar from Judea to Samaria to the othermost parts of the earth. But we're in a unique place here in the San Francisco Bay Area in that part of that uttermost part 
literally means outside our front door. And mm-hmm. you never know between people that are visiting here on an HB1 work visa and go back to a home country someday, folks that are here as a tourist, or just people that come from tribes, nations, and tongues that have never heretofore been introduced to the claims of Christ and who Jesus Christ is. And so the opportunity that we have here in the San Francisco Bay Area to literally impact the globe for Christ is a pretty rare and unique one. Yeah, I have, I have a friend that uh, he was a student at UC Santa Cruz. So um, uh, another pastor and I, we were teaching a men's Bible study at UC Sa- uh, Santa Cruz. And one of the students that was there said, you know, I was praying about after graduation, um, going overseas to the mission field. So he had that book, Operation World. And you you look at the different countries, you see what percentage of people have heard the gospel, what percentage of people are Christians. And he said, I was, I was looking at that. I compared it to the demographics of UC Santa Cruz, where there's 18,000 students. And I was saying, this is fertile mission field. So when he graduated, he ended up staying here in Santa Cruz County. He actually works at UC Santa Cruz, and he's staying here because the mission field, he's reaching people from all kinds of different countries, all kinds of different backgrounds. And many of those international students go back to their own home countries and if they come to Christ, they become uh, another uh, disciple, another missionary in their own country. So you're right. With us today, Pastor Matt Valencia, Senior Pastor of Regeneration Church of Scotts Valley. A brief time out, we'll return more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're talking today with Pastor Matt Valencia, Senior Pastor of Regeneration Church of Scotts Valley. Pastor, let's pick up where we left off a moment ago. Working in that kind of environment, ministering in that kind of environment where you have, shall we say, fairly liberal, open-minded people that's kind of the reputation of a greater Santa Cruz area that I think also tends to kind of tie into wherever you have large concentrations of young people because that's often said about almost any um, college town unless maybe you get back into the Bible Belt section of the country. Um, but, But that along with the quest for education and the emphasis on learning, show me the proof, open the chapter, let me see. Um, so I, I'm wondering what kind of challenges does that present from a ministry standpoint when you have a unique group of people that come to a town with the express purpose of, of walking away with you know their bachelor's or master's or doctorate, whatever it might be. Um, education is what is driving them. And we talk about coming to Jesus Christ and experience grace through faith. And yet they say, yeah, don't give me any of that faith stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, faith is what I have that I might win the lotto tomorrow. Talk to me about Jesus from the the historical standpoint. Talk to me about Jesus from the direct eyewitness accounts so that I can understand the the irrefutable evidence for who Christ is. How does that look when it comes to that sort of ministry in a college town like where you're working? Um, I, I, I actually love it. I think that that's one of the reasons why I'm here. Um, I think that when it comes to asking those questions, behind every question is a questioner. So we, everybody has to answer the same questions, whether that person is a Christian or not. We have to answer questions like, where does life come from? Uh, where am I going? Do I have freedom? Uh, how do we decide morality? Uh, what What is love? Uh, how do we deal with the sense of guilt and shame that we have when we do things wrong. 
So I actually think that by having those conversations and coming on level ground that as a, a follower of Christ, I'm not any more above or below anyone that I could say, I've asked those same questions that you have. And, and these are the answers that I found. Now, right now, there's about 150 churches in the Bay Area. We're doing a series together called Explore God. And we're asking questions like week one, uh, what is the purpose of life? And then uh, last week, why do we believe that there's a God? And then this week, uh, why does God allow injustice and suffering? And, you know, why does Christianity seem so narrow in week four? We're, we're asking all of these difficult questions because we realize the intellectual thing is a part of it. You know, the cerebral, do I understand? Do I have answers? And I don't think that there's ever been a question that has shaken my faith. Because that's how I came to Christ. When, again, when I was in high school, for me, it was emotional first. I, I, I was empty. I was praying. I was in my garage. And I said, God, you know, as a kid, I accepted you. If you're real, then show yourself to me. And it wasn't immediate. I just began to see my life change. And my dad came to Christ when he was 67. Uh, my parents got back together. I saw an amazing testimony in front of me. But after that, for me, I, I had questions. Is this something that other religions experience also? Um, is this just some kind of euphoria that people go through? So my senior year in high school, I did a paper, a research paper called Is Christianity Credible? And I still draw from that to this day. I, I remember uh, Don Stewart. I read one of his books, Josh McDowell, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And I, I needed to find out, are there good answers to these things? And the more that I find that those are answers that I could hold on to, the more that the intellectual barrier starts to come down. And now it becomes the barrier of the will. And, and the Holy Spirit will work through that. So, yeah, we, we love um, openness to ask, ask questions like that. And we invite it. I think that's, that's another important thing as the church, that we invite questions and that there are no questions that we're afraid of. Yeah, I think when we when we telegraph a notion that we're afraid for questions to be asked, we not only suggest that there are no answers that lie within us, but we also tell other people that, well, maybe there simply are no answers. And, uh, right. you know, we, we have a long litany of people that have come to Christianity as full-on doubters. Another book that comes to mind, The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, uh, right. which is another one that, that, that takes a very intellectual scientific, uh, mm -hmm. almost police investigative approach to looking yeah. at the tough questions. And I think that we need to not be fearful uh, when folks ask us the tough questions. And I think even for ourselves, you know, sometimes there are Christians who have been in the faith for so many years, maybe came to Christ as a young child, and when queried as to why they believe what they believe, or even at the fundamental level, what is it that you believe? they tend to give vague answers because, well, this is what they've always done. So it just feels familiar. It feels comfortable. But I think God wants us to have a relationship with him that isn't just based on a generalized familiarity. I mean, after all, the devil himself is familiar with God. Right. But does he know God? Does he have a relationship with God? And this is what the Lord wants of us. He wants to walk in fellowship with us. We forget sometimes that that whole sacrifice on the cross was dualistic in purpose. First and foremost, of course, to to uh, mitigate, to wipe out the penalty of sin that we deserved and eternal damnation for our separation from God because of our sin nature and to find 
forgiveness for all of that, but forgiveness unto not just salvation, but also relationship. I mean, God is simultaneously in the reconciliation business and in the relationship business. Why? Because he wants to walk in fellowship with his creation. And it's amazing how sometimes we kind of linger in that, yeah, we, we know God after all. I, I go to church every Easter. We, we put up, you know, holiday decorations at Christmas because it's Jesus's birthday. And yet knowing of God and knowing God are two entirely different things. Yeah, there's experiential knowledge of relationship, which is, you know, we, I grew up hearing, you know, it's not religion, uh, it's a relationship. And absolutely, I, I agree, it's that relationship that we have through Christ. And yet at the same time, it's important not to leave the, the questions that people would have, the questions that we have, and not just to say, well, I believe it by faith, um, but it's not a blind faith. You know, when, when Peter uh, writes, he said, uh, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make defense or give a reason to anyone who asks you for the hope that's in you, yet with gentleness and respect. And I think that's so important in our cancel culture. The videos that blow up, um, they go viral. Watch so-and-so destroy so-and-so. It's debate. It's Make us, uh, making someone else look stupid, and that doesn't win anyone. You may win the intellectual argument, but you lose the person. And I think that gentleness and respect as Christians, that we should be able to give reasons. We should be able to give a defense of our faith for why we believe. And remember, it's being able to give those reasons when they ask you a reason for the hope that's in you. If they don't see hope in us, if they don't see love, they don't see a, a, a face that's smiling back at them saying, hey, I care about you then that old adage is true. They don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. But when they know that you care, with gentleness and respect, you could give answers. It strikes me, and we've just gone through this very difficult time related to COVID. A lot of people mm-hmm. kind of, uh, you know, ran for shelter uh, at, at the peak of the uh, the COVID experience and then just decided, yeah, I like this online thing and have not returned back into fellowship. There's the other notion, and I hear this every now and then from um, secularists and non-believers that say, you know, I have a whole list that I can recite from the top of my memory with very little effort about what it is that you Christians are against. With us today, Pastor Matt Valencia, Senior Pastor of Regeneration Church of Scotts Valley. A brief time out, we'll return more of our conversation in just a moment. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're talking today with Pastor Matt Valencia, Senior Pastor of Regeneration Church of Scotts Valley. Pastor, I want to return to what we were discussing. Let me ask you this. Is there anything that you're in favor of? What is the church for? And I think it's that that transition between uh, that sense, as you were just speaking to, Pastor, uh, that, that, that so often we don't always engage in appropriate hope casting and giving people hope, that answer for the hope that lies within us. And, you know, if there's anything today, if we look at people in a lost and dying world, we are surrounded by confusion, fear, political strife, anger, more recently, horrific wars. And all of these things, I think, point back to the central question that so many people are asking, and that is, is there any hope and is there hope for me? 
And if the church isn't loud and proud and bold in disseminating that message of hope, if people can't begin to say, yeah, I know Christians are against this and they're against that, but here's what they're in favor of. Um, I think we're missing the mark here by a long mile, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Remember that, you know, the word gospel um, has lost its original meaning of just good news for many you know, many different, uh, many different types of good news. But for us, as, as followers of Christ, we realize it's the good news of Jesus. Um, 2020, as you know, like, uh, that's synonymous with, with difficulty. That's synonymous with just a, a hard time. And my mom passed away in 2020. That was such a difficult thing. Um, we had uh, Officer Damon Gusweiler. He's a, he was a um, Santa Cruz County Sheriff's deputy that got killed. Uh, during that time, there were... Uh, protests, all kinds of things were happening. And then in Santa Cruz County, we had the fires and uh, we were evacuated. Um, uh, the whole city, uh, almost of Scotts Valley was evacuated and Felton. And so our church became an evacuation center at the midst of the lockdowns of, you know, everyone saying, hey, you know, the contagious, you know, nature is so, uh, you know, it's such a thing that we, we need to be separated, but we, we didn't have a choice. So we had up to 70 people um, at the church during that time. And we just started making phone calls. Hey, do you need a place to stay? Do you need a place to stay? People started to come. And as they started to do that, what we found is that the city and um, the the county, all of the emergency services had a Zoom meeting for the different evacuation centers. So we were off books. We weren't official. We were just doing this. We had a, a couple come to the church just covered with ashes and knocks on the door and he looking in and I said, Hey, come in. And he said, can we stay here? I said, absolutely. He said, we're not a part of the church. And I said, our doors are open for you, whatever you need. And we fed people. We had the people that were outside of the evacuation line or the supply line. And uh, we just saw the, the incredible love of the body of Christ, other churches participating, bringing us food. We had extra food and we were sending them to other evacuation shelters and I was on a, a Zoom call with city officials from Scotts Valley and Santa Cruz. And the mayor of Scotts Valley said, wait, how are you guys funding this? Like, who who set this up? And we just said we made phone calls and we just decided to do it. And on, on the Zoom call, he just started to cry and he just said, thank you. And what we saw is the body of Christ. When we're reaching out to people with the good news and the love of Christ, that aspect of showing that love opens up the door for people to ask. And so people started coming to our church, uh, becoming followers of Jesus. People were saved during that time. And I, I think that what happened in 2020, the vibrance of the body of Christ being on full display is something that is still carrying on today. You know, one of the questions is how I, you know, how do I see the spirit moving today? And I see the spirit moving today with, with churches that are open to people not compromising the truth of God's word with this humble resolve and still reaching out to people in love. And is that, in your opinion, Pastor Valencia, the difference between telling somebody that Christ loves them versus showing somebody? I mean, words are a value. Absolutely. In the beginning was the word. Now, I'm not discounting the power of word whatsoever. But, you know, I also think about Doubting Thomas, who said, I'll believe when I put my finger in the palm of his hand and I can touch those nail-scarred hands. Is the fundamental difference here, particularly when you're talking about reaching out to hurting people, the, the need to be demonstrative of Christ's love? Yeah, over time, 
uh, with with consistency. I think over time with consistency, uh, people in the workplace, uh, professors in universities, uh, fellow students, and even family members. You know, my dad, when, when my brother came to Christ, it was probably in the late 70s. When my dad came to Christ, it was in the 1990s. And, and it, took, it took a good 20 years for my dad to see a consistent uh, living out of the values of Christ. Right? So, yes, it's a both and. You know, I, there's that saying, I think it was St. Francis that might have said, you know, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. And I just say, yes, it, it's necessary. Use words and then use the actions also. So our actions show it. But, but by all means, as the Holy Spirit leads to those open doors, our hearts are beating. We're nervous. How's the person going to respond? Just begin to share what Christ has done for you. And as I do that, people listen to testimonies more than they listen to, this is what you're doing wrong, or this is where you need to stop doing these things. Share a testimony. You can, you can point them the way or you can lead the way. And I think yeah. what you're arguing is we need to lead the way. The other thing, too, when it comes to the power of action over words, again, not to in any wise discount the power of the word. But at the end of the day, right. as God handed down the, this wonderful book of life we call the Bible, uh, the greatest demonstration was the sacrifice on the tree. Christ right. dying on the cross for us. And it was that singular event, of course, that uh, that made the possibility of being re- forgiven and reconciled unto the Father, uh, under which that tremendous blessing of the experience of grace we all experience today. For folks that are new to the San Francisco Bay Area, or perhaps are, uh, are Santa Cruz bound, maybe they've got, uh, they've got some uh, college in mind, or maybe just going to hit the surf at some point here, talk to us a bit about what God is doing at Regeneration Church of Scotts Valley. I think we're part of something that is even bigger than than us. And then I'll share something that happened in 2020 that led us in a a particular direction. Um, You know, I'm a part of an affiliation of churches called Calvary Chapel. So Northern California, Northern Nevada. We just had our conference over at Mount Hermon. And to see God doing this work there and then in the Bay Area with TBC and the Santa Cruz pastors, I, I think what we're seeing is the need for the body of Christ to come together. So at Regeneration Church, we're not only doing Explore God on Sundays right now, we're, we're taking a break from the book of John. We'll get back into expository going through books of the Bible as soon as this series is over. But it, it really is relationships, Craig. It's inviting people in, into homes. It's after the service saying, hey, we're going to have a question and answer time. Or if you have questions, you could ask them and you could text them anonymously if you don't want to raise your hand in, in front of people. And then it's showing hospitality. And as that happens, um, in 2020, everything went digital for a couple of weeks. So you remember that it was uh, two weeks to flatten the curve. Right as that happened, every church had to pivot. Everyone had to change what they were doing in ministry. And, And I started to see weaknesses in the church, our church, but also other churches, if we, if people in our, our congregations don't have other people's cell phone numbers, if they don't have a relationship, then all of a sudden when things are shut down and things are digitized, I was teaching through the book of Galatians. And let me read this scripture out of the New Living Translation. In this version, it says, My dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully formed in your lives. That's that's the goal for us as pastors. So the Regeneration Church, we we, we want Jesus to be lifted up. We want people to be regenerated, born again, following Christ, um, much more than they know about our church. We want them to know him. 
But the way that we get to know him more and more is through the community of the body of Christ. And that's why Paul goes on to say, I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know how else to help you. And man, when I read that, I realized that's what I felt like as a pastor during 2020 when things were digital. I, I want to help. I don't even know who's watching. And it's not interactive. It's one way. And what is important is that we have those options at times, but it never replaces the person-to-person interaction that even, even medically and psychologically happens when we're in the presence of someone else. And then as, as followers of Jesus, the Spirit of God is just sense. Not as much, you know, from a screen I get knowledge. From a screen I get a lot of information. Um, and the Holy Spirit can work in my life that way as well. But when I'm around people, I grow in relationship with people. And, and God's built us for that. So that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build a faithful community of disciples. We follow Jesus, responding to the gospel, and then intervening in our world on Christ's behalf. Building that, that sense of the body believers that this is not just a spectator sport, but we are active participants in that iron sharpening, iron experience of encouraging one another, exhorting one another, being there for one another, teaching one another, and learning what true discipleship is, and then, of course, passing it along. Folks are new to the San Francisco Bay region or visiting down in Santa Cruz on a weekend. We invite you to check out Regeneration Church. They are are at 1500 Green Hills Road, Suite 103 in Scotts Valley. And you can get complete details online by going to theregenerationchurch.com. That's theregenerationchurch.com. You're meeting Sundays at 10 a.m. Is that correct, Pastor? That's right, yeah. We invite you to come on down, check the church out, and lots of vibrant, exciting things going on. And you can get complete details again on the web at theregenerationchurch.com. I'd like to thank Senior Pastor Matt Valencia for being with us today. Pastor Valencia, been a delight to visit with you, hear a bit of your story, and most importantly, to learn what God is doing down in Scotts Valley. So again, thank you so much for your time and keep up the good work. Thanks, Craig. It's a blessing and an honor just to be able to partner with you and the rest of the churches in the Bay Area. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.